Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to The Dark Side of Your Emotional Needs, Safety. How the need to feel safe and secure can lead to chronic anxiety, people-pleasing, and could land you in a cult. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. If you see me as your saviour, I'll be your saviour. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. Those were the words of cult leader Jim Jones. How could something that started out with such good intentions end so badly? Those are the words of someone called Chris Saunders in their book, The Death of Jim Jones and the People's Temple. A man hides away for years because he only feels safe in his own house. A sportswoman panics when she forgets her lucky socks for the big tournament. A teenager refuses to go anywhere unless she knows her escape route. A middle-aged man washes his hands a thousand times a day. There's no doubt about it, we humans can be intensely irrational, even when it leads to self-sabotage or complete self-annihilation. In part one of this series, I explained that attention is a kind of vital nutrient, one we all need to varying degrees, but that our need for it can also poison us and poison other people. Not only can our unconscious drive to meet our need for attention in the wrong area stop us from achieving our dreams, because gaining attention is the true hidden priority. It can also be used by unscrupulous people to wreak havoc on our lives. Love bombing, as I said, is powerful. In this part two, I'm going to look at how the drive to feel safe and secure can also work against our clients. And us, of course. If misdirected, this drive can lead us to seek a sense of safety in ways that, paradoxically, undermine our very existence. Uncontrolled, unconscious drives. Our primal emotional needs drive much of our unconscious behaviour. This series is about bringing that unconscious behaviour into the light of the conscious mind. It's about knowing what our and our clients' needs are, being clear about them and understanding the dangers of trying to meet the need for Hydration, as it were, by drinking engine oil. Meeting our needs in balance and in healthy ways keeps us sane and safe. Safe from the kind of manipulation I'll be talking about here. The need to feel safe is paramount, of course. Now, I'm not saying all adversity should be avoided or that we um, should be so safe-spaced from contrary opinions that we end up soft, brittle and fragile and intolerant, I just mean we need to feel secure enough to have the spare capacity, not just to survive life, but to embrace it. At its deepest level, the drive for safety and security is really the drive for survival itself. In more primitive times, a lack of shelter and safety meant there was no guarantee you'd live to see the next day. So no wonder we still have such a, um, a strong and inherent drive to feel safe and secure day to day. 
the primal drive for security may help us protect ourselves in some situations, but it can also trip us up in modern life. Safety first. In part one, I made the point that when people are starved of attention, they don't feel safe. Okay. There's a kind of threat to feeling very lonely. And that's because once upon a time, loneliness, living away from the tribe, was literally dangerous and could spell imminent death. And so too was exposure. Finding shelter meant we were safe, if only for the moment we could continue to exist if we were sheltered in a dangerous situation. When we began farming about 10,000 years ago, it meant increased security. We knew where our next meal, or many more after that, was coming from. In modern life, fulfillment of this need relates to financial security, healthcare, and of course, physical safety. It relates to the fulfillment of our other basic emotional and physical needs, and it relates to trusting relationships. It relates to being able to plan ahead and have a sense of how things will be, the opposite of uncertainty. All this helps us feel more secure and frees us up to focus on aspects of life beyond survival. But what happens when people try to meet the drive for safety in ways that actually work against them? Okay. Fear, anxiety, panic, and obsession. All fear and anxiety conditions, including panic attacks, generalized anxiety disorder, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder, are manifestations of the same need, the need to feel safe and secure. Okay. Rather than seeing these conditions as purely pathological, we could view them as sloppy, maladaptive, unconscious attempts at meeting primal emotional needs. But even if we don't suffer to that extent with anxiety, we can all fall victim to a misdirected drive to seek safety and security. So I want to talk about meanness, timidity, and depression. Now, chronic meanness, when someone has the resources to be generous, may be a kind of, and here I'm going to use a very old-fashioned word, so trigger warning, it may be a um, form of cowardice. Feeling we can't spend money or waste money may signify an overwhelming drive to feel safe and secure. So you do have enough money, uh, but you don't want to spend it because there's still an innate sense of insecurity. The meanest people I've known have tended to be pretty wealthy. And, you know, yeah, that might explain their wealth in the first place. But when is enough money enough? Likewise, an excessive drive for safety and security may produce a kind of chronic timidity in life, uh, in which, um, you know, uh, life's never taken by the horns, no risks are ever taken, and no challenges are ever faced. So yes, avoidance may be safe, but so too is being dead. You know, not daring to uh, try carries its own risks. Regret and disappointment and resentment aren't great comforters as we get older. As practitioners, we need to help our clients find ways to meet this fundamental need healthily. Indeed, much of what we do does require us to help our clients feel safer. A huge part of depression treatment is about helping our clients feel safe again, to begin to move in life and meet their needs sustainably. In fact, a myriad of different symptoms common to our caseload do relate to the innate drive towards 
security, from chronic reassurance-seeking to horrific flashbacks. Incessant worrying, chronic washing, checking or counting, flashbacks, as I've mentioned, panic attacks, addiction to alcohol or opiates, and comfort eating are all ways in which the unconscious mind may desperately seek a sense of safety. Even depression, in which energy shuts down and basic challenges are avoided, can be seen as a kind of unconscious retreat into a dark cave that the light or day um, can't reach. Some people become such rule-bound lovers of bureaucratic processes that spontaneity and common sense don't even seem to factor into the equation. Uh, Chronic rule-following may also be an attempt at feeling secure, an attempt at covering all the bases. All these can be viewed as maladaptive attempts to feel safe and secure, but of course they don't work, or parts of them at least can uh, tremendously backfire. If we look at what need any behaviour or emotional condition is trying to meet, or may be trying to meet, then just about all facets of the human condition become explicable. People who seek reassurance or approval are really seeking to meet their need for a sense of safety and security. People who can't stand the unexpected or a break from routine are really seeking a sense of security. When we feel unsafe, we are, by definition, in seeking mode. We're constantly looking for safety. And when we're desperate, we're easily led. If you're looking for something, you can be led somewhere. What seems to offer us safety may in fact be poison. When people become parasites. So parasite, a noun, means an organism that lives in or on another organism, its host, and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. That's the Google Dictionary definition anyway. Hitler offered safety, or seemed to offer, safety and security and dignity to the German people who had suffered the Weimar Republic before he came to power. But eventually it became objectively unsafe not to follow him. But he was emotionally compelling to start with. Stalin, murderer of millions, also offered a kind of utopia at first. And I won't even talk about the wonderful promises of freedom and safety communist leader chairman Mao Zedong made before killing an estimated 45 million of his own people. Let me be leader of your tribe and I will offer peace, security, comfort and self-respect. With me, you are safe. This is the timeless message of those who would exploit our trust and squander our lives. The machinations of a cult can occur in groups of any size, from an entire nation to, I would suggest, just two people. Cultivating cults. Cults promise safety, be cast out and be damned, meaning, togetherness, feelings of being special or chosen in some way. Cults also, and this is really important, devalue outsiders. Okay, They shout down dissent, so disagreement is just not countenanced. Okay, Certain words become unsayable. Alternate hope with fear. Seek to convince members that only the cult can meet their needs. The sole provider 
becomes the sole source of ideas and demands for payback abound. Okay. All abusive relationships have cult-like elements to them. They meet needs in the short term or initially, but become parasitical pretty quickly. But there are more subtle ways we can convince ourselves that we're safe. Ideological safety. Wanting to feel we are ethical and therefore that others are less so may also be indicative of a drive to feel secure. Okay, feeling secure that you are ethically virtuous and more ethical than others. After all, feeling righteous is a way of feeling safe in the knowledge that I am good. When this kind of safety is promised, we are good, others are not good, the end can so easily come to justify the means. The safety offered by one-size-fits-all ideologies leads people to engage in terrible um, collective behaviours, convinced that they are necessarily for the greater good. The drive for security is so potent that we can be taken in by anyone who seems to offer certainty. In this way, security and certainty are virtually interchangeable. Safety in numbers is tempting, but as Stalin eventually put it, a single death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. The drive for money is so often a drive for safety too. A more modern form of safety perhaps, but still pretty clear if we look at it in these terms. Our need to feel safe and secure, just like our need for attention, permeates and secretly influences all areas of life. And it can certainly affect our financial life too. Some people want money to increase status, to show off, or to have and do great things. Okay. But many want money because it represents safety. I have enough nuts and berries to survive the winter, effectively. And of course, that's a very strong drive. We want to feel safe. We, we lock money in safes. Okay. So the safety element is inherent in, in the language we use around money. We invest in trusts. Okay. And we only trust when we feel safe. This is exactly what scammers play on. They know that if they can gain our trust, they can gain our money. You know, when we feel safe, we become less vigilant because we already feel secure. So we don't have to be on the lookout so much. To revert once more to primitive terms, it is as if the cave is secure and we are in it with someone we trust. But you have to be careful who you let into your cave. We think, I'll give my food to this person for safekeeping. I can tell they will not only look after it, but add to it. If our drive for safety is too desperate, we may stop thinking. Or we may stop thinking when we uh, artificially feel safe. Many financial scammers are organized and businesslike, but they can be far more covert than that. Malcolm's story shows just how easily we can come to trust those who mean us harm and invite the parasite in. So Malcolm was a vulnerable and wealthy client, and Malcolm had met Trisha in a bar. And he said, she was all over me from the get-go. So alarm bells there, perhaps. And I told her I had all kinds of issues with anxiety, but she didn't seem to mind about that. She helped me overcome my panic. She cared for me. And Malcolm had been grieving after the death of a child. Um, so he was very vulnerable. 
And he said that, you know, Trisha made him feel safe and secure. And that really struck me when Malcolm was speaking. Somehow this woman must have picked up quickly, skillfully and imperceptibly that Malcolm was that perfect combination of vulnerable and wealthy. Okay. And he said that, you know, she'd um, calm me down, tell me silly little stories, soothe me. She was like the mother I never had. Somehow I knew a hefty butt was about to fall from Malcolm's lips um, because uh, I knew that he'd been very badly scammed. And there it was. And he said, but I kept losing money. There'd be £100 in my wallet when she arrived and the next day it would be gone. But I turned a blind eye because I felt I couldn't lose her. And I, I sort of made excuses as to the fact that I must have lost this money or, or this must have happened or that must have happened. Um, Trisha had made Malcolm feel so safe he felt he couldn't lose her. But he was losing money and he was losing it fast. And he related his um, torturous tale. Trisha had defrauded him out of 25000 pounds. She'd slept with other men and was defrauding them as well by all, all accounts and constantly told him that without her he would be nothing. And when he finally felt it might be safer not to be with her, she tried to ruin his reputation at work and on social media. He ended up taking out an injunction and at last she left him alone and, and properly moved on to another victim. Finally he was rescued from his rescuer or from, uh, who had seemed like a rescuer. So I sought to reassure him that he hadn't been stupid, as he said, but that he had simply judged her by his own standards of decency and behaviour. I also suggested that she picked up on his primary emotional need at that time, which had one, been a, one of wanting to feel secure, and she had seemed to meet that need. So manipulators are very good at picking up on your current primary need, emotional need, and seeming to meet it. A parasite contorting itself to fit the host. So helping our clients find real sustainable safety is paramount when doing therapy with them. We can you know, all get sucked in by the dynamics of our own needs. Some people and organizations can make us feel safer, but we need to be wary of the wolf in sheepskin's clothing. What problematic behaviours and feelings in your clients relate to the need to feel secure? Why doesn't the client feel safe? What's stopping them feeling secure? And how can their need for safety and security be authentically met so that they needn't look for it in the wrong places? Okay, um, you know, if you're, if you're desperately hungry, then you might eat poisoned berries. So when we help our clients meet their needs in sustainable ways, comfortably lift trauma and equip our clients with ways to stop panic attacks before they get started, we help them feel naturally safer, of course, so that the mind of the client can then be turned to focus on um, more satisfying pursuits in life. Learning to calm ourselves and others is vital too, and part of that involves becoming better at relaxing with uncertainty. When we don't feel safe, we can become so frightened, we lose the capacity to think clearly or make good judgments. The more we can all learn how the need to feel safe can be subverted, the healthier we will all be. 
So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog.